The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com From the deepest, darkest crypts, to the backwood swamp near the bottom, from the inside of your casket, to the fears lying deep inside your subconscious, it's time for the Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Tim Frank from Hunt LEDs, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Mitchell Pink with Panic Point. You're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello, creeps. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of... The Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and you're listening to The Big Scary Show, the top podcast in the industry. <laughs> Hi, this is James Amaral from Puretown Haunted House and Factory of Terror, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Ah! You're listening to The Big Scary Show with three big scary men and one that wears more makeup than I do. Well, here we are, five days after the official start of spring. We've survived the change to daylight savings time, the sun is out a little longer, and the weather has slowly begun to warm up. Make no mistake about it, spring is finally starting to let us out from under that cold blanket of winter. Hopefully, you're well on your way to planning on working on your haunts for this season. After all, we're almost halfway to Halloween. Let the Big Scary Show keep your mood bright and cheerful as you plan out all these new changes to scare and entertain your customers. Storm will be ranting in a haunt minute. Meat Hook Jim brings you another installment of Between the Corpses, this time about whorehouses. Badger reads the latest in Deadline News. And the old crone sends us a new segment before hitting the high seas for a little well-deserved vacation slacker we bring you some rocking tunes to keep you in the halloween mood and we're introducing a new segment this episode <laughs> ladies and gentlemen the big scary show is proud to debut the brand new marketing morgue with none other than the voice from hell mr dick terhune be sure to stick around for that one the Roundtable of Terror discusses lighting for your haunts. 
we invite a trio of lighting experts to have a seat and discuss the right and wrong ways to illuminate your attractions to give you maximum scares and thrills. Whether you have an indoor haunt, outdoor trail, or combination of the two, grab a pad and pen and take notes, as this roundtable gets technical in places. It's a fascinating and entertaining discussion. All this plus so much more. We hit the body, but you'll become an accomplice just by listening to The Big Scary Show. Something is out there. Something is out there. Something is out there. Something is out there! Something is out there! Something is out there. So terrifying you've only seen it in your nightmares. Rated BG from Film Ventures. Looking to step up your costume? CFX products perform in every environment. Film, haunted attractions, stage shows, theme parks, cosplay, and good old-fashioned Halloween. Created for realism and comfort from the number one company leading the industry for over 16 years, a CFX silicone mask isn't finished until you put it on. Whatever your needs, CFX has you covered with silicone. And once you put it on, you too will agree that a CFX mask will be the most comfortable rubber you'll ever wear. Find your new face today at cfxmasks.com, cfxmasks.com. on the Big Scary Show.
broadcasting to you from the darkest regions of the Earth. This is A Haunt Minute. And now, with this week's commentary, Storm. Alright, so you know what I found is actually a thing? Uh, online live Facebook auctions. Uh, no, really. Our own old crone, Jonah, sent me a link this week for one of the more oddity ones. One that does, uh, specializes in some of the strange macabre things, including one coming up next month, uh, from funeral parlors. You know, a, a place that's collected funeral parlor items is going to be auctioning off something. So, they have some weird stuff, some neat hearses, and, and all the pieces that go with it, caskets, signs, that type of things, and caskets are one thing I could never understand why a haunter wants them. Sure, they sort of look good, but a real casket is so freaking heavy, it's bigger than you need, you know, the half ones, the demo ones are the best, because you can actually make them look like they're coming out of a wall, but, you know, moving a real casket in the summer was worse, so you gotta you know, watch what you buy and what you do, because you can fall down a rabbit hole with this. Now, most of these little auctions are sort of like, you know, looks like somebody's just cleaning out their basement or, you know, an antique shop trying to sell it. But there are some things which definitely appeal to haunters, which makes it lots of fun, lots of neatness, and, you know, strange that you can do this just, you know, from your couch or wherever, you know, bidding an auction on stuff. And one of the things that I saw that you can get at these things constantly are haunted dolls. Now, I believe every doll is haunted, but y these are even worse. I mean, you can just look and tell, yep, this is a haunted doll. This is something that a lot of haunters are out there looking for, either for their own personal decoration or for their haunt. But they're all there, so... You know, pop around Facebook, you can go Facebook Live, and for a couple of dollars, you too can have a haunted doll from somebody's basement. Uh, you know, hey, it's a wonderful world. Yay, technology! Until next time, keep every minute scary. Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com. Good evening. My name is Deadfield, the zombie butler. Visit me and all my friends here at vfxcreates.com and check out the new Putrid Pete, the zombie puppet. We have several new products that you might want to see. <laughs> see you soon at vfxcreates.com Music by Midnight Syndicate from the wilds of Arkansas. Bow your necks and spread for the pet child of calamity is a-coming. Ha, two, three, four. The Pine Box Boys, Child of Calamity, on The Big Scary Show.
Greetings, mortals and others. I'm Dick Terhune, the voice from hell. Walk with me into the marketing morgue. Con season is in full swing, and I'd like to talk with you about three cons in particular. Three cons that are critical to your haunt's success. The Three Cons of Effective Advertising and Marketing. Consistent, continuous content across your entire brand. As far as advertising and marketing go, I am most definitely a content guy. 
I am all about a story that has a beginning, middle, and end. And even though the various chapters are spread across various advertising media and platforms, for it all to work together, there needs to be a consistent thread running through all of it. If you have a Facebook or Instagram post advertising frightful fun for the whole family, plus a radio or streaming commercial filled with chainsaws and screaming, plus a TV commercial, YouTube video, or TikTok featuring large animatronics and mazes, all leading to a website with a story about witches? Your content is confusing. You could easily spend a lot of money confusing potential customers and then blame a lousy season on the advertising didn't work. Everything you do to market your haunt is one consistent story, continuous from beginning to end, and your advertising is the first chapter of your content. And, spoiler alert, there's a fourth con. Contact. Your advertising is the first point of contact you ever have with your audience. To be effective, from the first time they learn about your attraction, everything must guide your customers seamlessly to the Buy Tickets Now button, to the queue, front room to back door, buy some merch, into the parking lot, have a nice night, we'll see you again soon, tell all your friends. Consistent, continuous content. Of all the cons this season, these three are the ones that will grow your business the most. In future episodes, we'll rip further into the guts of haunt advertising and probe the most effective and creative ways you can market and promote your haunted attraction. Got a question? You can message me at Voice From Hell on Facebook. I'm Dick Terhune. Join me next time here in the Marketing Morgue, where there's always room for one more. Spectral Illusions is a digital production studio creating video effects for your home or pro haunt. They carry over 30 stock videos ready for immediate download, as well as USB drives preloaded with multiple effects. In partnership with AAXA Technologies, they now carry projectors preloaded with multiple effects. And now Big Scary Show listeners can get 15% off downloads, USBs, and screens with code BIGSCARY15. Projectors not included. Visit SpectralIllusions.com and add some life to your haunt. That's SpectralIllusions.com. Hello, everyone. This is Drew Badger, and this is Deadline News for episode 285. And we're going to kick things off with this news from the Ohio Haunters Association. We simply cannot wait for Halloween to already be here. And to celebrate the halfway point, the Ohio Haunters Association is teaming up with Carnage Haunted House to put on a halfway to Halloween event to bring the haunt community and all lovers of Halloween together. We are so happy to be sponsored by the Midwest Haunters Convention happening in Chicago on June 8th and 9th. This event will offer the following. Halloween vendors, food trucks, makeup demos, a tour of Carnage Haunted House, haunt characters roaming around and selfie opportunities, a haunt item raffle, a 50-50 drawing, and more. Information on the upcoming Midwest Haunters Convention in Chicago in June will be there as well. 
Attendance will be free, and we hope to see all of you on April 29th from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Anyone interested in vending, please contact Nikki Hook at Spike Angel, I believe that's Spike underscore Angel 500 at yahoo.com, or send a message on the Ohio Haunters Association Facebook page for information and booking. That would be facebook.com slash groups slash OH haunts. We have this from Fright Kingdom in Nashua, New Hampshire. Fright Kingdom invites you to celebrate halfway to Halloween as you brave the five Fright Kingdom attractions you have grown to love in October. Located outside, you'll find ghoulish characters and various forms of entertainment. There will be photo opportunities as well as concessions once you exit the haunt. General admission is only $35 and it's happening April 28th from 7 to 10 p.m. and April 29th from 6 to 10 p.m. Tickets are on sale now and should be purchased ahead of time on their website. And you must select a date and time slot. Tickets are only valid for that date and time slot selected. You can get more information at their website, FrightKingdom.com. We have this from the 13th Acres Haunted Attraction in Monroe, North Carolina. Have you heard? The 13th acre is moving to the larger side of the farm and will cover close to 25 acres. We will now have three attractions on one ticket, introducing our first new attraction, Coffin Creek. Follow us on TikTok for behind-the-scenes videos at the 13th Acre Haunt, that's the number 13, and get more information at the13thacre.com. Once again, that's the number 13. We have some hiring news from Fear Factory SLC in Salt Lake City, Utah. Your fear is growing. We're hiring two general maintenance and build apprentices. We're adding two apprenticeships to our year-round maintenance crew. If you've ever wanted to know what it takes to maintain one of the scariest haunted houses out there, this is your chance. Pay starts at $12 an hour with exciting advancement opportunities in the future. Duties include general maintenance, groundskeeping, security, assisting the build and creative team, and basic tech show operations. More information and a link to apply can be found on their Facebook page, facebook.com slash fearfactorysllc. We have a little convention news for you. This one is an update from the Motor City Legacy Horror Convention and Film Festival coming to Romulus, Michigan. Attention makeup artists! Have you ever wanted to learn some of the techniques used to create those iconic zombies in The Walking Dead? Well, Motor City Legacy Horror Convention and Film Festival and special effects makeup artist Brian Hilliard are working together to make that a reality. It's the ultimate zombie makeup class with Brian Hilliard. All of the supplies are covered in the cost of the class. You just need to bring yourself and a readiness for a truly educational and hands-on experience. The, de- the class is happening Friday, April 14th from 11.30 to 4.30. Get more information at MotorCityLegacy.com. We have some more convention news. This time from the Full Moon Tattoo and Horror Festival coming to Nashville, Tennessee. For the 20th anniversary of the Nashville Full Moon Tattoo and Horror Festival happening April 7th through the 9th at the 
Sonesta Nashville Airport Hotel in Nashville, please welcome a few alumni from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. John Dugan, Mark Burnham, Bill Mosley, and Mick Strawn will all be at the show. For tickets and more information, go to fullmooninc.net. We have even more convention news with this update from Days of the Dead, All Monsters Attack, coming to Chicago. It is with great pleasure that we announce the addition of actor Sutomu Kitigawa to the guest roster for All Monsters Attack Chicago, happening May 5th through the 7th at the Crown Plaza O'Hare. Kitagawa is best known for playing Godzilla in the Millennium series, including Godzilla 2000, Godzilla Final Wars, and Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. Aside from playing the King of Monsters, he's also played King Ghidorah for Rebirth of Mothra 3, as well as the Blue and Black Ranger in many of Toei's company's Super Sentai series in the 1980s, better known in the U.S. as Power Rangers. Get more information and tickets at daysofthedead.com. We have this from the Insanity Haunted House in Peru, Illinois. On April 1st from 7 to 10 p.m., Insanity opens for their annual Rotten Egg Hunt. Search for eggs in the dark, twisted hallways while being hunted by demonic creatures. This is an event you won't want to miss. Find the golden egg and you could win big. Get more information on their Facebook page, facebook.com slash insanityhh. And finally, we have this from the Texas Haunters Convention coming to Mesquite, Texas. Early bird exhibitor pricing for the 2023 Texas Haunters Convention ends on March 31st. The convention floor is over 80% sold, so be sure to lock in your exhibitor space before pricing goes up in April. The convention dates are July 15th and 16th in the DFW Metroplex in Mesquite. Get more information at TexasHauntersConvention.com. Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let Dark Imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. Since 2007, professional and home haunters alike have trusted our award-winning and dedicated skeleton crew to make their nightmares come true. Whether you need graphic design services, logos, websites, spooky visuals, or creepy changing portraits, we can help your business look its scary best. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs> Roundtable of Terror is very proudly sponsored by HauntPay. Whether it's time ticketing, 
virtual queue lines, or anything else related to online ticket sales, have Alex and his staff set you up at hauntpay.com. Ladies and gentlemen, that music, of course, does signify that once again, for almost 11 years, the Roundtable of Terror is on The Big Scary Show. And we want to thank, of course, our very fine sponsor, Haunt Pay, for allowing us to continue for almost the past 11 years. Now, if you've been listening to the show since the beginning of the year, first of all, thank you. Second of all, You may have heard a small ad we've been running on the show asking for your input as we count down towards our 11th anniversary, which is in less than a month. We've been asking people, what do you like about the show? What would you like to see more of, less of, etc.? Somebody, we will not mention names, said, I would like to hear more technical discussions on the roundtable. So thought, hmm, that sounds kind of interesting. We, ha- we really have not done serious talks about many technical issues in how haunted houses operate. And one of the hosts also said, this might be a good time to talk about lighting. So we put the word out and we found some people that know a little bit about lighting their haunted attractions, whether you're doing an indoor or an outdoor one. Lighting, of course, is one of the major, major things that makes your haunt super effective. Too much light, too little light just kind of ruins the whole effect. And we've all been there, folks. We've all walked into those scenes that were either too bright or too dark, and it really just wasn't effective. So let's talk to some folks who know something about lighting and how to make your haunted attraction that much more scary we've got a trio of great guests here should be a lot of fun to talk to them first up we're going up to massachusetts we have james amaral i hope i pronounced that correctly he is with fear town in seekonk and factory of terror in fall river massachusetts james are you with us i am here thank you so much and you did pronounce it correctly Oh, phew. I, I wasn't sure. I just wrote it as I thought. <laughs> Heading down to Youngsville, North Carolina, the one of the technical guys at Panic Point Haunted Attraction. That's just outside of Raleigh. We have Mitchell Fink with us. Mitchell, are you there? Yep. Hear you loud and clear. Excellent. Glad to have you on the show. And over in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, We have Tim Frank. He is the owner of Haunt LEDs. LEDs over the last decade have basically taken over the lighting industry with haunted attractions and more, but he's only in his second year. So this is kind of interesting to talk about a new business owner with LEDs. Tim, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? We are great here. And of course, we have our great hosts, including up in Rhode Island, we have Storm, you know, it's still six months till season, and my haunt torment bracket is already busted. 
<laughs> Down in Cincinnati, we have Meat Hook Jim. Uh, I'm thinking about starting to go fund me so I can travel to more conventions over the year. But uh, welcome, everybody. This is going to be an interesting conversation. I can't disagree with you. Down in, well, normally Fayetteville, Arkansas, <clears throat> but broadcasting from a secret location near some sort of port or dock, I'm not exactly sure. We have Jana, a.k.a. the Old Crone. How are you? Greetings. I am fine. I'm getting ready to go on a, a well-deserved vacation. Um, but guys, I want to tell you, there's not a whole lot of things that scare me, but one of the things that does is electricity. So anything you guys can teach me tonight to help with my lighting and use of electricity, I will be forever grateful. That's a rather shocking comment from you. My name is Drew Badger down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Allergy season is in full swing, so if I sound a little bad or if I start hacking up a lung, you'll know the reason why. Especially but, <laughs> yeah, yeah gentlemen when i was doing haunted attractions in like college and you know rigging up home haunts and things like that i basically would take a clamp light stick it on some kind of structure put a red light bulb in it put a black light bulb in it and that was my lighting and it was fantastic for what it was i assume technology and equipment and lighting techniques have changed at least a little bit since then. Absolutely. Um, so LEDs, as you mentioned, have taken over the industry. Uh, low voltage is all the rage. Uh, it's safer. It's uh, more efficient. It gets your electricity bill down, uh, which is great. Uh, and you can do so much more with it, and including like fright props, uh, controllers, and that sort of thing. They're just fantastic. Right. Um. One of the things, so you, you mentioned clamp lights and, and that sort of thing. So we actually, um, at Factory of Terror, we use a lot of what I call practical lighting or diegetic lighting. Uh, and that's typically any lighting that when you walk into a scene, it belongs in the scene. When you look at it, you're not trying to hide these lights, right? You're looking at lamps, you're looking at porch lights, you're looking at uh, heat lamps, that sort of thing. Um, which I know I just went off about low voltage, but those can run on low voltage too. Uh, and that's that's what's great is uh, you can get low voltage light bulbs very cheap on Amazon and just obviously you need to convert the um, fixtures that you're using, whether it be a lamp, a porch light or a clamp light into low voltage. Uh, so what I do is I clip off the end so there's no mistakes right. and you can't plug it into um, you can't plug it into your conventional outlet because you do not want to see what happens when you plug 12 volts into 110 uh, residential volts. Oh, that's um, <laughs> what happens. Wait, you'll now, get now one, I'm intrigued. I, I want to know what happens. You'll get one good scare. Yeah, you'll get one really, really good scare. Um, and then not much more after that, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but you, you, you clip that little, uh, the part that goes into the wall, you clip that off, you run it into your uh, 12 volt lines, uh, which we at both locations, we use actually landscape wire. Um, that we get from Home Depot. It's the, essentially what you run um, any sort of, uh, well, landscape like equipment on or landscape lighting on. You, you wire right into that. You put it into a C uh, CCTV box, but you wire the fixture to that 12 volts. 
right. you screw this uh, low voltage light bulb in, which, you, like I said, you can get uh, 12 volt uh, string, basically the uh, string lights, which are uh, kind of like patio lighting, that type, type of thing. And you can screw those right into uh, any typical, any conventional um, fixture. And there you have uh, low voltage practical lighting, which looks fantastic. Sure. Now, are, are you using this stuff for illuminating parts of your scenes or are you using these for, you know, effect? Like you're walking in through a laboratory and there's lighting over here, like, you know, things bubbling and they're lit or you have a lamp inside a den or something like that. Are these different types of lights that you're using no. for these? So they could essentially be both. Um, so it does light your scene. So we actually have a, um, we, we had in, in factory of terror had a doll room. Um, and if you ever watch a movie, uh, fun thing that I'm going to tell everybody here to ruin movies for them for all time, count the number of lamps in any given scene in a movie. And there's probably going to be way more lamps than you have in your home currently. <laughs> uh, and it's just one of those things like people don't notice it, but they help light the scene uh, practically. And it's kind of like you're not trying to light it from an outside source. You're lighting it with things in your in your scene. No one's counting lamps. They just see a lamp and they're like, that's where the light comes from. That makes sense. Um, so you have these bulbs and you can actually, there's also flicker controllers on Amazon. If you just type in flicker controllers, you can wire them in line as well, which is just putting it before the bulb, the uh, lamp or anything you're using. And they'll give a nice little like flicker. So it looks like they're surging a little bit, uh, super spooky effect. It's great. Um, but yeah, you can light your entire scene with that. Um, if you want it a little brighter, you can add pin spots or um, different kinds of lights. We use uh, rock lights, which are essentially what go under cars. Because right. uh, anything that runs in your car will typically also run off of 12 volt electricity because your battery in a car is 12 volts. So like the the lights that you see on all these like hip awesome jeeps and uh low riders and everything those work really well for haunt lighting as well and they're great and expensive floods they again you can buy on amazon uh for rock lights and you can add that to your scene on the same color and throw that in there and it looks like and we do that a lot with candles as well because those little like flicker leds that are in candles um they're, they're not lighting a room per se but you add that rock light in there uh, add an amber rock light pointing into the room and you light that room up with and it looks like a you know a candle all these candles are actually lighting that room and that one you would have to hide but just that that uh merging between practical lighting and non basically pin spots and that sort of stuff uh is it's just fantastic it, i love it so much you know i i'm digging what you're saying I, i'm just curious how long have you been in the business um, I have been in the, I've been working as a tech since 2018. Okay. So I started, okay. I started my technical career at Feartown in 2018. Okay. I, I, I'm just curious. I mean, you know, I'm relatively new per se, but some great concepts and everything that I was just curious about that and, and how far um, you've come in the business. It, it's like, you know, I, I'm not one of the type to judge of somebody who's been in it for 20 years or two years. Right. It's all about um, 
what they believe in, what they want to do, and what they can do for the industry. So that was my that was my question to you. That's a neat thing about lighting, and especially with haunts. If you're responsible for it, you got to learn all the ins and outs of it right away because it makes or breaks an entire haunt, let alone just a scene. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I'm sure um, either uh, Tim or Mitch can chime in a little bit on it, but controllers, uh, Fright, Fright Ideas controllers are fantastic. They seem really scary. Um, I know when I was starting and I was kind of a uh, controller was thrown at me and like, Hey, can you learn this and learn how to use this? Uh, it was terrifying. It's this, you know, black hunk of metal that I'm like, this is going to make everything look cool. How, how, um, but the fright props, uh, which is, which distributes the fright ideas controllers, like the boo box, the peekaboos, um, that we all, you know. Most most of us have definitely heard at least heard of before. Uh, the Fright Props YouTube channel is an insane resource for just learning these things, and it's also it's a really good way to get your creative juices flowing because they'll use it in a practical sense where it's like, well, we're going to have this turn this light on, uh, and they'll tell you they'll show you every step of the way how to do it, and then you're beyond that. We're you know we're all creatives. That's why we do, that's why we do this. We love it. We love being creative, and then once those creative juices start expanding, you know you can you can run with that and do so many things. You know, possibilities are endless, quite literally, just with those controllers. Yeah. So at at um, Fear Expo, I actually am going to use one of the uh, Peekaboo controllers. So whenever you first walk in the room, I have it programmed so that it's all like white lighting. And um, then whenever you trigger the sensor, it'll turn into it'll turn the whole room into color lighting, all different color lighting. Man, and, and, and le learning how to do that controller, man, it was it was. I mean, I I didn't even realize that uh, Freight Props had videos and tutorials. I was just trying to do it all on my own, and I eventually <laughs> figured it out. But it, it took me a while. <laughs> the, the technical aspect of it can definitely be scary uh, starting because you know you're dealing with a bunch of wires and um it's one of the th funnily enough one of the things i had to get over um was in my brain and i'm not sure i'm sure i'm not the only one red the uh, the color red is inherently associated with something negative mm -hmm. uh, that's just how we're trained however in electricity the red line is the positive line so when you're doing all this stuff um it's kind of like the red line is the one carrying the power that's kind of where it's like this is the bad one don't touch this one. Um, when you're working with 12 volt, uh, it's like I said, it's so much safer. Um, I, I, I tend to tell people, I'm like, you're fine unless you lick it. Don't lick it. And that's typically probably a good thing with electricity is don't lick the electricity. Um, but it's definitely, it's it's scary at first, uh, for sure. What Not electricity wise, but just when you take this hunk of metal and you're like, yeah, this is what I'm going to run my show on. Um, or I'm going to run my show on multiple of these. Um, but he, absolutely, uh, I would always suggest grab one, play with it, you know, get some, you know, LEDs. Um, we have a great LED vendor right here. Uh, get some LEDs, just start playing around with it. You don't got to set it up j just yet, but you know, learn, learn hands-on, see what it can do, uh, push it to its limit. And one of my favorite things is just taking these controllers and just making them do things 
um, that I never thought was possible. Um, one of one of my favorite things to do is when we get um, we we've all seen them before the the poison props animatronics the uh, distortions animatronics a lot of those come with um, the fright ideas boo box which is a absolutely insane controller uh, when it comes to what it can do it's it's wicked it's just wild um, but a lot of these animatronics not all of them for sure but a lot of them don't use all of the outputs. So what you can do is add lights to that. Light your room with these controllers that you're already getting when you you know purchase these large animations um, and have it do your ambient lighting. And then you can actually connect. Um, there's tutorials absolutely on YouTube. Again, Fright Props YouTube is a fantastic resource. Um, but you can connect these LEDs or to that you run your ambient lighting via the boo box and import the show that it comes with to your computer the director software that boo boxes use uh unfortunately only on pc right now uh just a point of order like it's only on pc i know they're working on a mac thing so if you're you're a mac person um you probably just want to have like a side pc just to kind of run the software um but run your ambient show using these leds and then when the prop triggers, your entire room can change. And more bang for your buck on these large, you know, animations and animatronics and just huge production value for your show. Hurry up uh, and do a Mac version because I'm a Mac man. I am too. I have a spare PC that is an old, old PC that the only thing it does is run this software. I keep it at the workshop. The only thing it does now is run that software. I gotcha. I, I'm Mac. I've been Mac for 10 years. <laughs> So, um, I definitely agree that um, it the best way to learn this stuff. So for me, I came from a, a background doing robotics stuff in high school, and, and all that stuff was twelve volt uh, DC electricity. And the easiest way, because a lot of this is we're talking, probably sounds really unattainable or untouchable for a lot of people, and, and we absolutely promise it's not. Uh, just like you said, grab one of those controllers and sit down and start hooking stuff up to it. Uh, I really, really like their manual. It's not super complete, but their manuals uh, from Bright Ideas come with really good wiring diagrams that are colored, so they're really easy to follow. Uh, and I think that the approach to using the computer not just to run a prop, not just to make something pop up and go boo, but in fact to run the entire lighting, and in some cases where practical, you can also run your soundscape um, to time with your lighting uh, with that single computer is the way that we do every scene in our park. So we're an outdoor attraction. It's got 40 something scenes spread across 55 acres. Uh, and every single scene has a computer and some of them don't even run props. Some of them only run uh, lighting and sound effects for the scene because they're so versatile. So definitely don't feel like this isn't a touchable thing. This is way easier than it looks like when you're first reading it. And once you've figured it out once, you'll be finding all sorts of little tricks that these computers can do um to make your scene really really pull together because when a, when a ghost appears in a room you see in the movies that that whole room changes and becomes ethereal um what our wonderful led vendor tim mentioned where they're going to walk into his booth and all of a sudden the entire environment changes that's a really really cool thing to play with so i totally agree with the integration throughout the entire scene now mitchell okay. and james really both of you oh sorry i was going to ask a really stupid question okay 
So you buy one of these controllers, like a blue, a boo box from Fright Props. Correct. Yes. And then you can't, and then you buy, and then you buy your lights and is everything connected to your PC then? Or is, is the boo box independent of your so The boo box ultimately runs independent from your PC. Uh, the idea of running a haunt off of a centralized computer is is a kind of a step above. You're walking in like theme park territory at that point, which most of us don't need, um, and leaves you open to problems if that computer were to crash. So all, and at least in our haunt, all of the uh, boo box flexes, which is the model that we use, uh, are independent and run a program off of an SD card. So you write the program on your PC, and you stick it on the SD card, smack it in the box, and walk away from it. It'll continue to do that until you change it. Sure, that's easy. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's it's absolutely. Um, they also sell, you know, if uh, I mentioned not having, I, I'd be remiss if I mentioned if I didn't mention this. So I mentioned not having Mac software. Um, however, they do sell um, a. I think it's called the Scaremaster, which you're able. It's it's a little, in in my personal opinion, it's a little clunky. Um, I, I, we have one, I don't typically use it that much cause I do have that PC, but you know, if I didn't have it, but you can, you can program a boo box using essentially what amounts to a, um, a DMX controller. Um, and you're able to kind of put everything in. Um, I would highly suggest what that being said, I would highly suggest using the, the bright ideas director software, uh, okay. that comes with it. Let me ask you this. Uh, being a Mac person yourself, okay. Do you think it would be smarter for them to write it in Mac? Absolutely. I uh, and I think the director software I've done, um, I, I've done so many. Uh, you can run escape games. You can run multiple rooms. Like I said, this the scare factor. Uh, the, sorry, not the scare factor. The um, sure. scare master uh, controller is. It, it definitely has a learning curve that I still haven't really gotten to um mastering just yet right and i think the software is above and like uh, just insanely good and it's really useful um you can it's very um you can get down to the nitty-gritty with it uh including when it comes to the flex maxes and uh the new flex twos which i believe they're shipping out instead of the uh boo box flex they've moved over to a new model um, but that sort of stuff, there's, it supports, if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty, you don't have to absolutely you do not have to, you can have it just turn on and off your lights and that sort of thing and play audio. Sure. Uh, that's the other thing. They play great audio. Um, but you can, it supports if then technology or if then logic, which is like, if these two inputs are on, then you do this, go play this scene. Um, it, it's, I would absolutely would rather than have a Mac um application see and, and that's what i'm talking about you've got a mac application you've got the scenario but you've got mac people instead of pc people yeah <laughs> that's it's right? I, I think it's more of a barrier with uh with actually apple than anything because i know they're very uh strict on what they have and i agree with you and i i i appreciate that because I know how strict Apple is. I've been an app, I've been a Mac person for oh god, 12 years now. Oh wow. 
um, uh, all before that, I used to build PCs. Okay. But it's like, no, I, I, I became privy to the beauty of, of the Macintosh. So that's what I usually use. Now I do, I will say I do have a PC that I use for things because it's right. easier to play games on a PC than it is on a Mac. But when it's when it comes down to um, production, video production, uh, and things like that, I think the Mac is superior. I'd have to agree with you there. Um, <laughs> but the other thing with uh, Boo Boxes specifically, right, right. Um, is we're haunters. I don't know. I, me personally, I love strobes. Right, like strobes, you know, a room, a good, a room that utilizes strobes well, um, is people are gonna remember it. Um, one of the, my favorite ways to utilize strobes is uh, what's called inconsistent strobing. So instead of having a singular, giant strobe light blinking at a specific rate, right, right, you can actually um, have multiple little strobes okay. going off of one of these controllers across the room. So it's blinking, say the left corner blinks and the right corner blinks, then the middle blinks, then the back corner blinks. And you have this very disorienting effect right. um, that still has this strobe effect. And you can also do it uh, if you, like I said, the rock lights um, that I was talking about, those nice 12 volt floods, sure. uh, you can get them in most colors, uh, which is great. Cause like I said, they're for the bottom of cars. Right. Um, so, you know, I want green lights. I want a nice green strobe in here or green blue strobe. Um, and that sort of thing. You can do that, program that using these, um, the fright ideas controllers that fright prop sells. Right. Um, and what's really, really good about that is if you use a boo box. Uh, so the difference between a peekaboo, uh, which is another fright ideas controller and a boo box um because that's going to come up a lot is a peekaboo typically uh you don't need a computer for right. um there's not i don't even correct me if i'm wrong uh mitchell uh but i don't even think there's a way to hook up a computer to a boo box uh not so not a boo box sorry a peekaboo you're correct the peekaboo is, an, is entirely it's, its own separate unit with an internal memory that can't be modified by a pc okay right and you just you 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 can record it uh you press the record button you, after you wire everything up, it, there's like, uh, depending on how many outputs, there's typically uh, two to four buttons that once you hit record, you you hit your buttons in there. And when it triggers, uh, it'll replay that uh, recording for as long as you did it. Okay. Um, the bonus of a, of a boo box is that computer, uh, that computer programming, essentially, where you can have multiple scenes. Right. So if I trigger this one, it does this. And there's there's more outputs. There's typically 8 to 16 outputs. Sure. Uh, so there's 8 to 16 different things that you can control. And that includes, that's not just lighting. That also includes props, animatronics, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, but going back to the strobes, if you use a boo box and say run a line with a button or switch up to your front door person, um, we, you know, we warn people obviously that, you know, there's going to be strobes, right. but the, you know, people get into the line, they get up to that first front door person and they're like, are there strobes? And it's like, what do you do? What, mm -hmm. what do you do? 
Well, that front door person could have a button that they click or a switch that tells that boo box that's controlling your strobes basically to either slow them down to a safe level or just stop them altogether. And you just have your ambient lighting or switch to a different lighting scheme. See, and you know, I've got to say that, that, I think that's great. Then I'll tell you why. Uh, my daughter is epileptic. Okay. And in in a case like that, it would just throw her into a seizure. Right. You're telling me you've got a controller that'll that'll turn tone it down so she can go through safely. Correct. Yeah. So you, obviously, the person would have to program that. Right. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm absolutely suggesting because you can run if you have a boo box centrally and you're like, this is the one that's controlling our strobes, right? This one boo box is controlling all of the strobes throughout the haunt, which if you have right. any, you know, a typical size haunt, again, um, so at Fear Town, we have three different haunted attractions. Factory Terror is about a 15 to 20 minute attraction, depending on your walking speed. Sure. Um, so Factory Terror, that'd be very pretty simple to do have a centralized controller that is controlling all of those mini strobes doing all of their blinking off and everything else so that when ultimately what happens is you know someone that does have epilepsy or photosensitivity issues you hit that switch and it brings all those quick flashes down to say one flash per second which is the the indication of a light turning on Sure. Um, which is, it's a much safer speed. Um, there's absolutely research on wh- how many flashes per second um, causes seizures and what's a safe volume for someone with epilepsy, right. um, which I won't get into right now. But yeah, absolutely. You can run your strobes off of one controller, hit that switch, and make it essentially access- accessible for everyone. You can change your haunt. Right. And, and that's what I'm saying is like, you know, my daughter, uh, I, I worry about her because of her issues um, with epilepsy. And what you're telling me is that you could present a safe attraction for her to go through without worrying about triggering triggering her epilepsy, which can be bad at times. I've seen it. Absolutely. It's a, it's an amazing feature. These are amazing controllers. And again, the barrier to entry seems when you're when you're starting to use them, it seems insurmountable. And I've been there. Okay. Um, but they're they're actually super simple. Once you learn them, um, the the user interface is it's great. It's you know everything's there everything you need it's all very centralized when you bring up the software even the peekaboos you know start with the peekaboos they're super simple when it comes to click you're just clicking buttons right i want to remind you all that you are listening to the round table of terror here on the big scary show with our very special guests james amaral mitchell fink and tim frank along with our regular hosts we are talking lighting but for right now we need to take a very short break to play this very important message And we will be right back. Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, 
social media discounts. And now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. And we are back to the Roundtable of Terror, talking lighting with our special guest, Tim Frank of Haunt LEDs, Mitchell Fink with Panic Point Haunted Attraction, James Amaral from Factory of Terror and Fear Town up in Massachusetts. And I wanted to ask this question because I know Panic Point is an outdoor haunt. I know Fear Town and Factory of Terror have are, are indoor and outdoor. I know Jana's was mostly indoors. I believe Storm's was a hayride, mostly outdoor. What are the unique challenges between working indoor lighting versus outdoor lighting? It goes out to all of you. I think the first thing that you run into, uh, like you said, we're primarily outdoors, uh, is that you're not going to beat Mother Nature. No matter how hard you try, stuff's going to wear out, uh, and you've got to constantly chase it. The more complicated that you make something, even though it's really cool or really impactful for the customer, one of the things that we we matrix whenever we decide to put in a new feature is how hard is it going to be to maintain uh the first biggest problem with working with electricity particularly low voltage electricity is it attracts corrosion no different than a battery terminal on a car uh so we've taken some serious steps to waterproof um any and all wiring connections and not only that minimize them wherever possible because it will corrode and you'll put your haunt away for you know six seven eight months and then come back to it and go, okay, let's flip on the power. And then nothing works. And you're going, oh, God, and you start chasing wires. So we use a lot of uh, liquid electrical tape to cover stuff because it permeates the connections and makes sure they're really sealed. Um, the other big one that we have a huge problem with are squirrels. Squirrels love <laughs> wire, man. Oh, God. So uh, any way that you can get a wire flat to a surface or run it through conduit um, or bury it is another thing that we do a lot of. We bury conduit and run wires between buildings that way. Uh, even if it's a tiny little wire, because, you know, once that once it's nicked somewhere, you're never going to find it. Um, so those are the two big ones, water and squirrels. So uh, Town being outdoors, so we have three separate um, attractions that we run that are all lit and uh, powered separately uh, from each other, um, entirely outdoors, in the woods, um and i'm sure uh storm could attest to the the you know east the northeast's weather um can get a little hectic sometimes um you know you get the random rainstorms that you have to go in and be like oh goodness i hope everything still works um and sometimes it's snow you know sometimes you get that october snowstorm where you're like oh okay i have to make sure everything still works and make sure everything's uncovered from snow um so that's something that we have to deal with so as mitch was saying um definitely you can't beat mother nature um one thing i can absolutely suggest is i mean i've been singing their praises for the entire show uh but these rock lights they are made to go underneath cars you know they're made to hook up to the bottom of your car and withstand most things um so one of the things i would suggest when you're buying um any sort of um technology or tech that you're going to be putting out doors is check the ip rating um so that's your 
that's generally the, I believe, water and dust. Um, so if you're getting something for an outdoor attraction, um, you're going to want something about that's IP66 or IP67. Mm-hmm. And that generally means that it's uh, weather resistant. It'll survive your season. Um, Fear Town is set up teardown. So we have about six weeks to set up the entire attraction and about six weeks to tear it all down and be offsite. So that's a blessing and a curse uh, for the single fact, like I, I don't have to worry about what's happening to, you know, the wires from December to September um, where it's like, Oh, I wonder, you know, if I'm going to go back there and have to rerun the entire haunt, the curse on the other side of that is yes, I'm going to have to rerun the entire haunt. Um, But I don't have to worry about squirrels as much. I do have to worry about squirrels pulling out lines in the middle of the night just because they're running scared, just like everybody else. Um, I've definitely had that happen where, you know, an entire section has gone down because the junction of the 12 volt has been pulled out. Uh, So the one thing I can absolutely suggest is keep your junctions minimal. Uh, So the junction is anywhere where you have wires coming together. Um, Keep, try to keep that as minimal as possible. That way, when something does go down, you're not checking 50 different areas. You're checking maybe four or five. You know, I definitely agree with the minimized junctions. One of the things that we started doing uh, on your IP note, and if anybody listening to this is confused by the phrase IP, if you Google IP rating system, there's really good resources on the internet for understanding that because um, the numbers get a little bit confusing. But we've started using IP uh, junction boxes with hinged lids to house most of our computers and anywhere we bring a bundle of wires together uh, because it gives us a specific accessible place to look. And that has minimized so many nightmares for us. I also want to add, you know, uh, is mentioned earlier that landscaping um, wire. Uh, That's great for a couple of reasons, Um, mainly because squirrels and rodents and rabbits and everything else they love extension cord coating i don't know why they'll eat it first that's the one they go for especially if it's orange but the uh, landscape lighting not so much we've been able to do some neat stuff with that we've even run it about 24 inches off the ground between trees down through the um, trail and the best thing about that is it's so easy to move your lights because when you go and set up um you know, and this might be something we can talk about now is, you know, you got to do a light check and see exactly where the light's being cast and what it's doing, because nine times out of 10, you got to move something around before opening night. Uh, do any of you guys want to comment? Did you, do you do um, light checks at your haunt? thousand percent. A thousand percent. I test early and I test often um, for, for that reason, for the single fact where, you know, um we have we're lucky enough we have a great um build manager that makes these amazing foam sculptures and a painter uh full-time painter that just makes these amazing sets and so for the one fact of making sure it's lit and people can see it uh something that someone spent so much of their time on uh but the other fact is making sure people can see making sure people can see where they're going see where they're supposed to go um i tend to when it comes to that try to use uh video game design if anyone's played video games or if anyone's listening to played video games uh when you step into a room in a video game you can typically see that's where i'm supposed to go and it's mostly because that area is lit more than any of the surrounding areas 
Um, so 100% test early, test often. I, t I tend to test when whenever I can. We, we really uh, like the idea, and you know, we just instituted this because the park has become so complicated, uh, of having two full-time tech people that are not in costume, they have no other jobs, and if they're doing their job right, they are actually sitting uh, for most of the evening, waiting around for a call for something to go wrong. And it is their job purely to keep after this stuff. And these guys come in four hours before the show, turn the whole park on, uh, and make sure that everything's operational. I think to your point about using lights to direct uh, where traffic goes is huge. For ponds that are suffering from throughput issues, lighting a doorway in a, in a positive direction that drags your eye through it, just like the video game, that helped us increase numbers a lot. Uh, the other reason that I'll use lighting as a direction tool is also to distract the customer. And so making sure that those lights are in the right spot so that the, we can predict that the average customer is probably going to turn their head at this moment when they're walking through, or they're going to turn their head to that beautiful piece of artwork that your artists have made for you. Um, and that allows good pockets of darkness too, that are very intentional for things that we don't want the customer to see. Absolutely. Uh, and you kind of touched on it there. Um, one of the big things I would have to say to anybody um, it's not a technical thing. It's more of a, I, I guess, in a way, artistry thing. Um, we, we think of lights as a way to illuminate areas we want people to see. Um, a lot of people um, don't see the opposite of that, where we don't light areas that we don't want people to see uh, or necessarily don't want to see yet. Um, and in that sense, also, if you put a light in front of, say, an actor box, but if you put that light in front where the actor is behind that light uh two things are going to happen uh we did we did it this last year we had a um a tight we had uh, somebody up on like a tightrope about 10 feet in the air um that's going to be walking over people the problem with being that high up is our walls are eight feet so if you looked into the woods over those walls you could typically you could probably see that person um and then that the whole effect is spoiled um so what we did is right where they were going to look and kind of see that there was a light. So I'm not purposely blinding the customers, but if they look up, they're not going to want to look up. You know, there's going to be that light. That's also, you know, lighting the path, but that person's also behind that, you know, that fixture. So you cannot see behind that. That's just a function of a light and a darkness is you're not going to be able to see what's behind that bright light. Um, so using lights to not only illuminate what you want them to see, but hiding what you don't want them to see or not want them to see yet, um, is a great use of just lighting in general. Some of my best scares were under, some of my best scares were underneath a rotating canister light in a room full of fog where you could literally stick your arm through that beam of light and nobody would see it. And all of a sudden this arm starts coming out from this beam of light. Or, you know, a big shadow coming out. It, it's a tremendous effect, especially when coming down a long hallway and you just see that rotating light in the fog and you see the beams of light everywhere, but you don't see the actor hidden underneath that. It's, it's one of my favorite effects and I love working that kind of a, kind of a room. Absolutely. And uh, I think also to Mitchell's point, um, he was saying about adding directional lights. Uh, so one of the things we do and... Um, I've seen a lot of haunts that uh, don't do it and end up, you know, with backups because of it, but dark mazes. So maze is a strong term where you, you know, but kind of that blackout hallway, that sort of thing, you're going to get bunch up. 
people are not going to know where they're supposed to go. They're not going to see what they're supposed to be going to. Uh, so what we do is we add a simple pin spot. It's a one red pin spot that's kind of that that way, or there's a light at the end of the tunnel type of thing where this is the way I'm supposed to be going. It doesn't ruin your dark maze effect, but what it's doing is it's continually progressing those customers forward because they have an area that they're going to hit. So when I see this long hallway and I see it's black out, but there's this red light in the middle of it, okay, as a guest, I'm like, all right, so I'm obviously still going the right way. I'm not going to end up in their you know, break room or walking out the wrong exit. That's obviously they want me to go this way. Or face planting the wall. So right. <laughs> I hate dark mazes. And, and thank you for putting a pin light up there because I have gone through some, which there's literally nothing. And yeah. you just basically <laughs> have to walk with your hands in front of you. And when you hit a wall, go left, go right. We don't know until we hit something else. I hate those. <laughs> but let's, uh, let's talk to Tim a little bit about Haunt LEDs. Tim, this is your second year with the business. Tell us a little bit about some of the, uh, the lights that you're going to be offering, not only at Fear Expo, but for people who are, you know, looking for something maybe a little different or maybe looking to get some uh, new ways on lighting their haunts. What are some of the products that you have? Yeah, so I have basically um, five millimeter pin spots and uh, 10 millimeter pin spots, 10 millimeter pin spots, which are, um, you know, they're a little bit bigger of a spot and they're definitely brighter. Um, but I also have um, flickering pin spots and blinking pin spots. Um which which are amazing i i i love using um the flickering in like hospital scenes because i have like white so it's you know um that adds a huge huge ambiance to everything and then um like i have yellow flickering which is kind of more like a candle so i'll use like use that in some of the scenes and then i also have like red green and blue that are all flickering um I also have um, RGB, which like um, slowly changes from red, green, blue, or I have a fast one that's a little bit faster, which I'd use in like clown scenes and stuff like that. Um, and then I also sell like black lights and, um, you know, I sell different boxes and everything. And um, all my LEDs, actually all the wirings are all color coded to the correct LED. So like, Blue LED would be blue wiring, green LED would be green wiring, etc. All that fun stuff. Now, you do have a background working in haunted attractions, correct? Oh, yeah, I definitely do. I have um, I first started actually at 100 Acres Manor here in Pittsburgh. Um, I worked there for a little bit with Ethan whenever he was there. Um, and then I very worked. At, oh, yeah, very and then I worked at Freight Farm for a little bit with Dan and Alyssa whenever they were working there. Um, and the most recent one was at Allen's. And we, whenever we um, went there, we actually gutted the whole haunted house, started all from scratch. And I actually went in and did all the lighting in that haunted attraction. Which and haunted that, attraction was this? Um, it was called Allen's Haunted Hayride. It's in um, Uniontown, PA. Okay. So I did all the lighting in there, and then <laughs> that's when I decided, hey, you know, I'm going to build my own LEDs because I've built them for this whole haunted house, so, you know, I'm going to build them and start selling them. And then that's that's what I did, and then started selling them last year, and it was it was really good, <laughs> really, really good. <laughs> 
now forgive Tim, me for uh, I was going I was going to ask Tim for uh, the haunters who are just so used to lighting a scene or lighting their haunt with a clamp light and just flooding it. Um, what's the benefit of pin LEDs? So you know, pin spots. I mean, you can like light up a specific thing, like you can light up a prop or light up you know a cool design on the wall that you have, or um, you know you. You can do a lot with pins, um, but like they're not really as bright as a clamp light. So, I mean, you're not going to be flooding your whole haunted attraction with one specific lighting. You can use like, say, say you're doing a graveyard scene. I'd use some like greens, blues, reds in a graveyard scene. So you can mix them all together and, um, you know, just it's it. I personally rather use pin spots than a clamp light. <laughs> And you get a lot more control with casting shadows and things around and behind uh, your scenery with that, uh, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, actually, I lit up a tree and it just the shadow was phenomenal whenever I lit that up, lighting up the tree and everything. It was it was awesome. Now, not being an expert on, quote, technical terms beyond the term light, um, I remember maybe. 12 years ago, 13 years ago, the concept of quote-unquote mini spotlights came out. I believe Bert Zeltan came out with mini spotlights and Gantham started doing mini spotlights. Is that basically the same thing as a, as a pin light? Or is yeah. that something completely different? I didn't know if, this, if mini uh, spotlight was a whole blanket term that covers this whole range of something. And are they all LEDs or can they be other things? Um... Most of them are all LEDs. I haven't really seen any other ones that weren't LEDs. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, people call them mini spotlights still, and people call them pin spotlights. I mean, it all depends. It depends who the person you're talking to is. Okay. I, Cause when I first saw these things, I was like, this, this is kind of a game changer. And, oh. and, and now I, I don't know of a haunt that doesn't utilize them at right. all I mean, unless oh, yeah. you're like really old school or something but you know they're fantastic and and it's kind of neat to see where they've gone in such a short amount of time right and then also in september and october um, i also uh, own a review team so i actually go to haunted houses you know try to promote haunted leds a little bit but um <laughs> also go there and do like reviews on all the haunted attractions too and, what do you and yeah i'm sorry Tim, I was going to ask, do you have any of your lights that um, are like UV lights for black lights? And Yes. Yeah. I have UV pin spots. Yes. Awesome. I have them in five millimeter and 10 millimeter. That's great. I may be buying some from you. Awesome. <laughs> so any other questions from the hosts at this point? I know we've been talking a long time here. Um, what about the use of color? Uh, you know, we, we touched on at the very beginning. Uh, how can color change the feel of a scene or even a haunt within itself? I think One if you go back to uh, stage lighting basics, and there's some really good, like, intro to stage lighting books that you can buy uh, at a college level um, that break down the use of color to impact emotion. You know that red is a very angry color. Uh, we know that blues can make a room feel kind of cold or eerie, same with green. Uh, so those are the kind of the basic thoughts about color in terms of emotion, gearing your customer into a mindset 
you know, a serial killer looks really good lit up in red. Um, but we use color in lighting at Panic Point um, sometimes to make things appear or disappear because LEDs function on a wavelength of really, really true light color. Um, whereas take us back 20 years, where we're all using incandescents that are painted or have uh, gels, which is a sheet of translucent plastic that's placed over stage light to give it a hue. Uh, that is still white light that's being slightly tinted. So it's not going to affect how your set looks. Um, but if you use LEDs, sometimes you can wash out tones. Like if you paint a building red and then light it with a red black or a red LED light, it's going to make your paintwork kind of muted, which can be really useful. Uh, because for instance, if you paint something green on that red wall, and you light the wall with a green LED, you won't see the green paint. Or it'll appear very, very dark and dim. And then if you suddenly switch those colors, like the RGB LEDs that Tim says he sells, as those flip through colors, it can make different parts of the set pop loose. Um, so I think that's, you know, color is something you can really, really manipulate the customer's eye with quickly. You can you can do a lot of um, optical illusions with color as well, as, as Mitchell's kind of say, alluding to there. Um, one of the things, uh, quick case study that we did, um, we had a um, kind of like a shrinking tunnel at one point where people are coming down, uh, the roof's coming down on top of you and kind of get smaller and smaller. Um, and we had uh, like a red and blue uh, checkerboard pattern on the walls. And what would happen is the red light would go on, then it would go off and a blue light would come on. And what basically it gave this weird impression that these um, the wall was moving. It was essentially because one thing would turn black and the other one turned like a gray, um, and it felt it, just standing in there. It felt like the wall was just shifting patterns, um, which is it, it was a wild look. Um, one of my favorite things, and just to touch on color with mood, um, we have in Factory of Terror we have a boiler room set that's currently lit red. It's almost entirely red with some amber. Uh, tones and everything because red is it's a hard red every room feels like it should be red red is a very hard color to utilize in a haunt space because it doesn't really brighten anything in my experience um it's very hard to get people to see what's going on with red um but like if you use red in conjunction with like an amber tone um but if that boiler room was say blue or green it wouldn't very much feel hot or it wouldn't feel like a boiler room because when you think boilers, think hot, you think red, it kind of conveys that mood of like, oh, this is a spooky boiler room. Um, we also have a greenhouse set that we use um, old clamp lights that I, as I mentioned at the top, top of the uh, round table, converted to uh, 12 volt power. Um, that We have clamp lights over these uh, plants with red um low voltage bulbs inside of them we just kind of took the uh the lights blasted them with a little red spray paint uh and it feels like you're walking into this like kind of like a grow room where these crazy plants are coming out um it's one of my favorite things to do i know one of the coolest effects i remember seeing at, at a haunt was in state of maryland it was a hayride and we walked or we rode under this barn and it was all flooded in blues and purples. And there were these tubes coming out of the roof and fog coming out of it. 
and it was to convey that you were going into a giant freezer. And that blue just gave that whole effect that it was just ice cold in there, even though it was early October, it was probably 60 degrees, not really that cold, but with the, the fog coming down and the, the guy who jumped out, who looked like he was covered in ice, it was, it was staggering how blue really made the impression of cold. Whereas, you right. know, red seems to always have that impression of heat. That's why it works in boiler rooms, I guess. But, you know, it, it, it was amazing. It was the only blue lighting in the entire hayride. That's and genius. It just, I love that. It was just done so well. And, uh, you know, well, I enjoyed that. And, and it really was a great effect. And, you know, that's, that's just the one that really sticks in my mind about, you know, how effective lighting could be. I'm sure people were, like, getting chills going through that thing at some point. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's the neatest sure. thing. When, when you've done that, I've seen that. I've, I've had that done with the Hayride too. That blue and that fog coming through, and you start seeing your customers shivering. You're like, wait, it, it's 80 out. It's it's the first weekend of October. It's 80, and you're shivering because you, your mind is so into that. Uh, I, I think a good thing might be a close on is, um, you know, everybody's um, a unique or the, the best use of lights. And uh, one of the ones that we did. Uh, we had a, a circus theme for the Hayride one year. And, you know, we wanted a real grand sort of circus feel to it. But you can't really put up a giant circus tent big enough to drive a uh, Hayride through and expect it to be up there and not spend a gazillion dollars on it. So what my general manager did, we had, um, you know, this lower part of the field. So you could see it from anywhere else on the Hayride. And we had already some utility poles down there. And what he did is he strung um, red and uh, red and yellow uh, Christmas lights from it to make the outline of a big circus tent. So there wasn't actually a physical circus tent. But if you looked at it across the field, it sort of looked like that there is this big structure down there and then of course you get down there there were six blinds and us evil clowns came out from behind them but i, I think that is one of the most simplistic unique ways to to set something up a have you guys seen uh something that really blew you away at your haunt or another haunt with the use of lighting so a similar thing uh, a couple of years ago at fear town we did our clown section started with a large um big top it was in the woods and you came around the corner and you just see it and it was you were probably when you first see it you're about 20 yards away but the way it was lit uh so it was lit from it was using up light so when you come around that corner it just looks it's kind of like um that forced perspective idea um you know you look at say uh, i think cinderella's castle at disney um is a good representation where it's so far away and it just has that forced perspective uh, when you're looking at it, but you can also achieve that with lighting and up lighting um, to make something kind of dim out towards the top. So it just looks so much further away. Um, and you walking up to this, and you're like, that's got to be like 50 feet tall. Like, yeah. that's insane. But I mean, in reality, it was probably only like, I, I think, 15, <laughs> like, it, but it looked huge. Um, and that's up lighting and down lighting, like play with the direction on your lighting, just play with it. Like, that's the big thing about tech that I can tell you if there's one takeaway is, um, you're never going to get it accurate the first time out. Um, play with it, play with it until you're happy or play with it until like, you know, it, it, you get an effect you want. Sometimes it happens on accident and then you can go back and do that, you know, more. 
Absolutely. We've had Mother Nature help us with lighting sometimes. We'd, we'd go out right before a show and, you know, a tree had moved or something, the wind had moved it, and they're like, well, that actually looks better. Oh, yeah. And definitely use your, if you're an outdoor attraction, put your lights behind, you know, leaves and branches and everything. You're outdoors, use it. You know, these, get those, you know, you look at a horror movie and there's all these, like, tree shadows on the ground and everything. Like, get those. Like, put them Put them up in the tree and behind these branches so it casts these spooky looking tree shadows on the ground. How about um also gobo lighting too? Have you guys used gobo lighting at all? We've definitely used gobo as a panic point. Uh, I like creating interesting shapes and breakups, especially for our off-season events. So during our winter event, we'll pull out a couple of stage lights and slap some snowflake gobos in there. Uh, hold on, things. hold on. What are gobos? What are you talking so, about? Um, gobo lighting is, it's like um, an effect that you can put on a, a light, like it'll shine like trees onto a wall or like you can shine a skull onto a wall or, and, um, you know, cool stuff like that. A gobo is, is a, the, the physical piece that goes inside of a stage light. You can adapt this concept to almost any light. Pin spots are really hard because they're so small, but essentially it's a piece of die cut metal like if you think of those old flat metal Christmas ornaments or that have been punched out or an old tin lantern that has punchings in it, you shine light through that and it's focused right. It will only let light pass through the open spots and give you a shape. So sort of a primitive projection, if you will. If you go into the so, dark zone at Transworld, sometimes there'll be a company there and they'll be like jack-o'-lanterns dancing along the back wall or, you know, monsters or lightning bolts or your ad here going along there too and i've i've seen that so i'm assuming so, that's that's an example yeah one of um in my, in my experience i've never used uh traditional gobos um what i'll do to achieve similar effects is uh there's this product called cinefoil mm. uh that you can put over your light you can cut holes in it um and you can put it over pretty much any light um you're not going to get that crisp treat like we're taught like traditional gobos you can put your you can order one with your logo in it and if you have that gobo light, you can have your logo. Like if you see, I think um, Eastern State does it a lot with a lot of their signage. Um, Halloween nights at Eastern State, they do a ton of gobos and they look beautiful. Uh, but if you just want that textured lighting, which is also very important, um, it's just having that lighting that's broken up by different shapes and sort of things. I use camo net um, in front of the light a lot of times where it's shining through that camo light. So you get this broken light effect. Um and it's a it's a little more inexpensive. It's um, than your traditional gobo with your traditional gobo projector, um, as well as like I said, trees and that sort of thing. And that cinefoil, you know, you can poke holes in it, and the light will shine through it fairly well. Interesting. Any one final questions? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No worries. Uh, one last thing I'll throw in there from a from a stage lighting perspective uh, is if. If you guys have just a couple of bucks and you're looking a huge way to upgrade your lighting uh, and you're feeling really uncomfortable with color, go online uh, and look up Roscoe. They make stage lighting products and order one of their little gel swatch books. And it'll be a little tiny, like two inch by four inch um, like cardboard thing with a rivet in it. And it'll have hundreds of different colors of clear plastic in it. And you can take a flashlight and shine that through. Um, and we've come up with some of our best, like weird, creepy off colors uh, with that swatch book. And you can order a whole sheet of it. And you can 
cut it in whatever shape and tape it, just electrical tape it to the front of a light if nothing else. Um, but that little swatch book is like five bucks and is one of my favorite things in my kit. Also, make sure when you're playing with colors, you know, I, in in my experience, my personal uh, working with the haunt, uh, we have a separate person, I think I mentioned earlier, that does all the painting and set dressing and all that stuff. So, like, if, you know, on the other side of being able to hide things with lighting, um, if you're, like, certain colors will wash out with certain lights. Um, so make sure it goes back to test early, test often, make sure that it looks the way you want it to look um, in general, because we've had situations where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is... I will discuss a room and I'll be like, cool, this is going to be like, I can think of it as like a blue green area. That's going to be really cool. Like a cemetery set. Um, however, like the painter, like when we, you know, make the set, you know, you, you have that mossy feeling and everything else on the walls. And it's like, you put that green light up and it's like, there goes, you know, a week worth of work for the painter. Like I can't, you know, that sort of thing. So work with your painters, um, you know, get that set. You can do it either way, depending on how you want to do it. Um, people say also uh, paint in haunt lighting. Um, sometimes that's just not feasible. So like typically the way our work, our workload works is he'll, you know, they'll paint. I'll go in afterwards, put all the lighting on top of it. And it's just finding that balance of uh, testing your lighting and making sure that it looks the way you want it to look. Do you have to light 3D painting differently? Or 3D mazes differently than regular? Or do um, you have experience with 3D? I have a little experience with 3D. Um, in my experience, you, you once once you put a black light up, it depends really. That's on a that's on a painting side. Um, in my in my personal experience, because um, you know you throw up a uh, a phantom by Chave, which is a you know black light flood, and just making sure you're hitting all your spots um pit, uh black black light pin spots as you know tim mentioned he has they're great for filling in the gaps on that um but that's that's really that when it comes to 3d mazes in my experience i would so. say there is a big difference between led uv and classic uv lights the fluorescent tubes we all grew up with and oh, for sure on your application You've got to be careful in what you're trying to do. If you're trying to make a singular object glow ominously in the room, I typically will use an old school incandescent uh, UV light, okay. even though they're not as safe, because it won't cast a purple hue on everything. Whereas a black light maze, you need that punch and that power. So I go straight for the with the LEDs. Right. So a question I get asked a lot most in, in the LED businesses. How long is it going to take, you know, to light up a 5,000 square foot building? And usually, usually what I tell everyone is it all depends on your preference of how, how you want the lighting done. Personally, if I'm doing a 5,000 square foot building, I know a lot of haunts don't have this much time, but I like at least to have a month to do my lighting because I have to have everything perfect everything lit up just to a t because all these paying customers are coming in you know i mean not all of them are like oh cool design detail blah 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 but a lot of like some of them are like oh look at this design look at the lighting look how good that looks and personally that's to me is just how <laughs> just amazing with the lighting and everything <laughs> 
Uh, that's interesting I think because I go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I think we're one thing I can say is the three of us may be certainly biased, but uh, your your haunt lighting is one of the most important parts of your show, bar yes. none. Like it's you know you walk in, you know between being able to see where people are going, between uh, setting uh, a mood, a vibe uh, from room to room, the way you can change your haunt lighting um, between rooms um, to create an entirely different environments. Um, it's it's just stuff that you can't achieve, um, in my opinion, with tr just traditional um, traditional lighting. Like the your your haunt lighting is probably one of the more important parts of your show. Yep. yep. And a great point with that and this conversation is it's scalable. So we're not leaving out the home haunters either. Uh, I I use a lot of lighting just on my front lawn. I have, you know, 50 feet of bright white um, vinyl fence that faces the street. So normally it would just be there, but you can actually hide stuff by lighting it. I uh, got a couple whirly gigs and some static... Um, uh, projections of jack-o'-lanterns and I do a lot of jack-o'-lanterns on my lawn so all up and down this fence I light it up with jack-o'-lanterns and so it goes from being an obstacle to something with just about eight lights I've turned into a 50-foot part of the entire haunt right do you still do the singing jack-o'-lanterns is that the is that using the same technique or is that something different? Uh, that's different. That's with projector and, and with things. And um, I, again, I use the fence with that one because I actually have my jack-o'-lanterns up on a platform behind the fence. And I have the projector sitting under them, reflecting the faces on a mirror and back. That way I don't have to worry about projectors walking off or people tripping over wires and stuff because the people coming for trick-or-treat, Halloween, or the weekend are in front of the fence and see the singing jack-o'-lanterns when all the technical stuff is behind and under them. So it's just using obstacles and using oh. you know simple light tricks uh, to get around it. But that's a neat thing. All this is scalable. You can do neat stuff at a home haunt with a handful of uh, pin LEDs, or you can light an entire 5,000-foot uh, haunt attraction with them. Absolutely. Hey, and back to the, um, you know, making sure that your lighting, you know, your painting and things, you know, is working with your lighting. Don't forget about your actor's makeup. Because yes. depending on what colors you're using in that room, you need to uh, match the makeup to make sure that the makeup doesn't like just disappear or end up muddy. If you're wanting a certain color to pop on the makeup, you need to make sure that your lighting is going to work with that. Absolutely. And, you know, as you know, work with work with your team, obviously. But one of the things uh, I've historically done is essentially make a um, a, a a tech Bible of sorts where, you know, you give it to your, your makeup manager and you're like, here's, here's the lighting, you know, for each room. This is the, the, cause what I'll do is I'll do a lot of um, what I call flood and spot. So I'll flood the room with one color. And then what I'll do is I'll spot the room. I'll put mini spots or uh, LEDs in the room to kind of fill in the gaps or make certain things uh, more visible and give it more of a, a feel. Uh, so I'll be like, this is the main color in that room. This is what this is gonna they're gonna see. Um, if it's amber, then you can pretty much because uh, we do a lot of 
at Factor Terra, there's a lot of realistic lighting. Uh, so there's a lot of ambers and whites and that sort of thing. It's a factory theme um, beyond what I've kind of already talked about when it comes to color. Um, but, you know, definitely work with your team is the biggest thing I can say, you know, that's that's going to help you so much. If you don't have a team, then you don't have to work with your team. <laughs> but it's nice to have a team. Definitely. Oh, it's great to have a team. It's a great time. Uh, we have a great team of talented people um, and working together just makes a better show for everybody. It makes everyone's lives easier too. Any uh, final questions as we wind down here? No, I, I think my... we've touched and, and, and covered a lot, a lot of, a lot mm. for our listeners to digest. And uh, I, I'm sure they're going to be searching out some of our guests uh, for more info after that. So, uh, Absolutely. Um, one one final question. Do you see any trends for the future? Do you think, you know, are we going to continue to get smaller and smaller with, you know, lighting itself? Or is it going to be, you know, I don't know, you know, holographic in the future? You know, what, where do you <laughs> see the where do you see the future of lighting in haunted houses and attractions? One of the things, and uh, Mitchell can absolutely speak to this uh, from Panic Point's perspective, but one of the things I want uh, to learn more and I see happening a lot is DMX, which we haven't really touched on. Um, DMX still scares me, to be honest. Uh, I know it's not as big of, it's back to that controller thing. It's definitely not as big of a barrier to entry as I think it is, um, but that's where I see a lot of people doing at this point. So DMX, in a, in a very, very broad you know, thousand feet look is the ability to put in a light fixture and they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes uh, and, and you power it. So it, it's, it's its own device. You plug it in. Usually they're 110 volts. Um, and then you run a data cable to it and over uh, a serialized network, which is not really so different from your internet. Uh, all of the lights in this network and they're all kind of jumped together with a single data wire. Um, you can tell them very specific instructions. And we use a lot of it at Panic Point because we do off-season events. And so for our regular show, it's, it's typical haunted house lighting. You've got your practical fixtures and a, and a, a mood in this room and a mood in that room. Uh, when we do our off-season events for December, we will turn the whole park kind of a blue hue because uh, it has that cold vibe to it. Uh, alternatively, for our St. Pat's event. A lot of the park gets turned green and gold, and that makes it really easy because uh, the lights are networked, and in our case, are always up. Uh, I can just go into a computer and tell it, all right, make all these lights green for me. Um, and that saves a lot of time because you're not spray painting lights or having to put in different fixtures. Uh, but the DMX thing can be a lot. I would recommend taking a class at Transworld. There's usually a speaker every year that will talk about DMX basics. Also can buy a stage lighting manual. Um, those are definitely the way of the future to a large degree. Uh, and a lot of people get turned off because when they look up DMX, you get big companies um, like Elation and, and other things like that. Their fixtures are very expensive. But if you go on Amazon and look for some cheap like DJ uh, light fixtures, um, anything with the word DJ in it is going to come in at a lower price bracket. Same thing with the controllers we were talking about earlier. Just Buy one of those lights and hook it up. Uh, the BooBox Flex actually has the ability to run DMX. Um, and they've got great internet resources for how to do that. And dive in a little bit because it's really, it's not that intimidating once you understand what the light's doing. Um, and 
there are lots of resources in your local feeder groups. Uh, you can reach out to your IOPSI union people. Um, that's a big uh, theater workers union and usually find someone who'd be willing to talk to you over a couple of beers and get your feet wet. <laughs> so I have a quick question um, for both of you. Um, what's the difference between CCTV and DMX? Like, what's the difference? Hmm. When you say CCTV, uh, do you mean uh, James's reference earlier to powering his LED lights with CCTV boxes? Yeah. So, so, like, can you power LED lights with the DMX controllers? Yeah, so you can actually get... Um... One thing I have done with DMX is you can get DMX encoders, um, which give you, goodness, it depends on the amount of channels, but it gives you so many different uh, outputs. You do still, uh, I believe, will need a uh, PLC of sorts or programmable logic controller, which is the fancy word of saying uh, Fright Ideas controller or Arduino or that sort of thing. So you'll need one of those to kind of control the logic of a DMX encoder. Mm -hmm. um, but you can 100% uh, power uh, LEDs through those channels. So what is CCTV? Because I hear a lot of haunted attractions actually use them, but I, I never personally use one, so I really don't know what it is. So a CCTV box um, is, is literally just the box, uh, a big metal box that is meant to power uh, security cameras. So they oh. also run on typically 12 volt. Uh, they have multiple terminals, typically... Ge they're generally about one amp so the ones i use i believe there's uh 12 terminals and they're one amp each so i'm able mm -hmm. to just spider out of one of those and it's you know one plug you know i plug it into yeah. the wall at one point i can power i think i have at factory of terror um we have about five of them and that's mm -hmm. just for convenience sake when i was running when i was rerunning all the wires um, recently I was just like, all right, I want centralized locations, um, where just walk through the show to turn the show on, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but for an outdoor attraction, um, I would suggest landscape power supplies. If you're going to go that route, um, they, they're great and they're meant for outdoor use. Um, but yeah, CTTV boxes are just security camera power supplies. Okay. So that's. Technically, then, kind of like my distribution box that I sell, my 12-volt distribution box, pro probably almost the same thing, roughly, then. Likely, yeah. Okay. Okay. Any final questions? Well, folks, this is the part of the show we like to affectionately call The Plugs, where we can find out more about your haunted attractions or any business ventures. Let's start with James. Tell us how people can get more information about Fear Town, Factory of Terror. Are you doing any kind of halfway to Halloween events or anything before the season starts? Where can people get information on this? Uh, so they, they can find us on both Instagram and um, Facebook. Fear Town. Um, so Fear Town Haunted House is at Fear Town on Instagram and Fear Town Haunted House on Facebook. Uh, Factory of Terror is a little bit uh, trickier. Uh, there's a wonderful haunt as well in uh, Ohio that goes by the same name. Uh, so we are Factory of Terror Fall River. Um, I believe our Instagram handle is at Factory of Terror um, and Factory of Terror on Facebook. And are you doing anything between now and haunt season? 
just building, building and plugging away. Just uh, we like to change up. So we're set up teardown. We like to change it up every year. Um, I think we've we're probably with Factory of Terror at least and and Fear Town actually. We're doing two of the biggest renovations. Um, I'll definitely uh, go on record saying in Factory of Terror history for sure um, is happening this year right now. Uh, super excited for everyone to see it. Mitchell, how about you? Where can people get more information about Panic Point and all that information? So if you guys go to our website, RaleighHauntedHouse.com, we keep that really frequently updated. Uh, We should be posting our calendar in the next couple of months for our upcoming season. Uh, And as far as like if you're looking to work for us, all of that stuff is on that website. Um, Panic Point doesn't typically do uh, outside festivals. Um, but myself and a couple of our freaks, if you will, uh, will be attending Carolina Fear Fest. If you guys want to stop by there and chat, we'd be happy to talk shop. Um, we'll probably have a little booth there. And um, also, if you guys have any questions about lighting or anything like that, I'm super happy to help. Feel free to reach out to me on Facebook. And Carolina Fear Fest is at the NC State Fairgrounds in Raleigh over Memorial Day weekend, if I am correct on that. Yes. Excellent. And Tim, you're going to be at Fear Expo this very weekend that we are broadcasting this. But yeah. um, for people who want more information about Haunt LEDs, maybe see products, pricing, and, and all that good stuff, where can they get more information? Um, so I have a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, um, all Haunt LEDs. And then also I have a website that is hauntleds.net. Are you going to be attending any other shows after Fear Expo? Um, I think this year, just Fear Expo. That's for this year. Okay, excellent. Well, folks, it's been a fascinating conversation. We want to, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we want to uh, thank our very fine guests here, James Amaral, Mitchell Fink, Tim Frank, for coming on and discussing all the technical aspects of lighting, I don't understand half of it. I just know don't lick the wires. That's that's the main thing I got out of it. Out of this. So, you know, it's all about safety when it comes to haunted attractions. But we could not do this without our great co-hosts, including Storm. Uh, this was a very enlightening conversation. I'm ready to go uh, full uh, DMX. Uh, I'm going to take a bunch of my, uh, you know, uh, effects lightings, a bunch of speaker cables, and just hook them all up to sequence the Rough Rider anthem. <laughs> and lighting experience i see what you did there uh meat hook jim you know it's amazing what you can learn about lighting behind your eyelids also want to thank getting ready to go on a cruise and i hope she has a wonderful time jonna aka the old crone well i feel like i have learned a lot that i'm probably going to totally forget while i'm sitting on you know, on the deck watching the ocean waves go by. But hopefully I'll remember it all whenever I listen to this when I come back. There you go. Take good notes and listen to the show many times. And catch me a chupacabra while you're down there. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) My name is Drew Badger down in Charlotte, and I just want to tell our guests, we heard from Fright Props during this, and they're sending you royalty checks. They'll get there any (laughs) day now. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Roundtable of Terror here on the Big Scary Show.
Greetings, listeners, and welcome. Watch out. Don't trip over that torso. It's time for Between the Corpses. Greetings, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here. And as we continue our journey of torture and execution, we are going to look at poor houses. Traditionally, Christians were supposed to cherish the poor, glory and charity, and value humility. By Tudor times, this biblical tenet was turned on its head and poor people were reviled and distrusted. The poor faced a dilemma after the dissolution of the monasteries under Henry VIII which once provided food and shelter. Now those in the rapidly growing urban areas who faced the perils of disease and starvation in the absence of charity had no options but to thieve. A remedy was provided in London, 1553, by the of King Edward VI. Ten days before his untimely death, the sickly 17-year-old donated the royal palace at Bridewell for to be a workhouse for the poor and idle persons of the city of London. His successor, Queen Mary I, delayed ratification of the necessary charter, but finally Bridewell became a hospital, a home for the poor, and a place of correction. The notion was noble enough, but in practice Bridewell became a punishment for the poor. The pioneering paternalism was fatally flawed but only future generations would appreciate its problems. Organized relief of the poor was not a new idea, and Bridewell was not the first institution of its kind. Humanist Juan Vives from Spain had advocated increased levels of relief for the poor. In Amsterdam, the Rasp House was established in the 1550s to house vagrants. However, Bridewell became a warts-and-all model for the rest of England to follow even lending its name to similar institutions. Bridewell became home to orphans and children of the poor, the sick or the crippled, and able-bodied vagrants. They were given work including silk winding, wool carding, cap and nail making. In return, they they earned a small wage and generated a profit for Bridewell. Not everyone was enamored with the idea. Mary I had great reservations about its very existence, perhaps because prostitutes within Bridewell spoke freely about their liaisons with Catholic priests. Sir Francis Bacon felt that caging the poor was against the spirit of the Magna Carta and contrary to English ethos. Those operating Bridewell were tempted to let women of ill repute start up business to generate further income. The managers who took over in 1602 kicked out most of the paupers and let the rooms for a fee instead to increase their profits. Nevertheless, following the poor law of 1572, bridewells or houses of correction were established all over England. 
by 1609, local justices were liable to a five-pound fine if they had not provided a house of correction where the poor could be as straightly kept in diet as in work. Vagrants were rounded up and committed to bridewells, where they were usually whipped on arrival. Whipping became such a common punishment in London's bridewell that a gallery was specially built to accommodate fee-paying spectators. There was a pillory too, sometimes a ducking stool, and many residents were kept in irons. Distinction between the poor and the criminal classes became vague. With pressure mounting in jails, the justices sent convicted felons to houses of correction, which consequently became fortified in a bid to keep criminals in. The concept was reinterpreted in the second half of the 18th century when nine huge houses of industry were built in Britain to provide labor and shelter for the poor. Once inside, people were compelled to wear uniforms and the doors were locked. Bridewells were still going strong in the 19th century, although by then their small profits made their unpopular in investments. Now, well, it's a good thing that uh, they don't do that uh, in America because, you know, uh, most of us are never going to get rich doing this. Catch you on the next episode. Black Cat of Tower, Sunday Sacrifice, on the Big Scary Show.
This is the dawning of the age of Colossus, the Forbin Project. A shocker fascinating, says the New York Daily News. A sizzler builds to high tension. Gene Shalit, NBC Radio Monitor. Razzle-dazzle, smooth suspense, Time Magazine. Colossus, the Forbin Project. From Universal, rated GP, all ages admitted. Ready to dress up your show? Need to pump new life into old props? Just want to show something no one else has? Do what Alice Cooper, Distortions Unlimited, and A-list haunters all over the world do. Wear Von Karam. Durable, handcrafted, dependable, year after year. Von Karam. When you scare enough to wear the very best. Von Karam.com. V-O-N. C-H-A-R-O-N dot com <laughs> It's time for Ask the Old Crone <laughs> I'd like to tell you a little story Back in January I began my annual task of gathering my tools of a tablet of graph paper a mechanical pencil and several erasers to draw out this season's floor plan One of the great advantages to have a modular haunt is the ease of being able to switch things around every year. So as I'm sitting down on my tools, my favorite man suggested doing my floor plan with the computer. We discussed and agreed it would be easier to make changes, more accurate, and look damn cool to have it in 3D. Here comes the problem. I don't know how to use any CAD softwares. So I set out looking at different ones and settled on one to download that happened to be free. I have to admit I am fairly competent with computers and have normally learned new programs pretty easy through my career. But I was only able to accomplish drawing a straight line. YouTube tutorials and help windows neither tutored or helped me enough to figure it out. I searched for posts in the Haunters Hangout to find some alternatives to actual CAD programs. There are a lot of Haunters who use video games, and they draw and create entire floor plans, complete with 3D walls, and really cool. Others use landscaping programs. And if you've never seen John LaFlamboy's Lego Haunt, you're missing out. You really should go look for it. Picture of it. I took a look at all of those options, but ultimately, I think I'm happiest and less stressed by sticking to my trusty graft paper and pencils. And yes, lots of erasers. Have you started your floor plans or revisions for this season? I'd love to hear what you use to create your floor plans. So if you can find me on Facebook or if you have any suggestions or questions, let me know. I'd love to hear them. Until then, don't forget to stir the cauldron. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunted attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free 
and see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. Prince of Darkness, hear me. They call him Luther the Berserk, but his blood brother is called Lucifer. I command you to appear. Their form is human, but they have crossed over. Spawn of the devil, master of black arts. It's been 50 years since a man looked at me like that. Where the weird rites of the supernatural sensualists defy description, no one is safe when the witch maker walks a trail of terror. Are you ready to meet the witch maker? Dolly Van Gogh, the demon, on the big scary show.
haunted house owners, actors, and enthusiasts. Join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios. Creepy Collection. Dark Imaginings. Fright Finder. Haunt Pay. Von Caron Productions. And VFX Creates. We'd also like to thank Virgil Franklin, Master of the Ether Muse. And we couldn't do this without the three ghosts, including Badger, Haunt Consulting and more, rabidbadger.org. Meat Hook Jim, check out his other podcast at wrestlehorror.com. And Storm, Rants and more, hauntminute.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves. <laughs>